This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Oh, man. Welcome to the show. So good to have you with us on another audio adventure. I'm imagining you working out right now. Maybe you're driving your car. Maybe you're walking your dog. Maybe you're preparing a meal. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, thank you so much for being with us. I'm Chris Van Vliet. This is Insight with Chris Van Vliet, where we reverse engineer the habits and techniques of people at the top of their game. And this conversation was such a pleasure. You'll know Jeff Timmons as one of the founding members of 98 Degrees. I mean, they were one of the biggest boy bands of the late 90s and early 2000s. And his story of how they became so successful is a story of chasing after goals. And is this just going to inspire you like crazy? Is this actually going to inspire you to start writing your goals down every day, which is something that I started making part of my routine this year. Share this with someone who's a 98 Degrees fan or share this with someone you know is going to be so inspired by this. Tag us on social media so we can say hello. It's super easy. It's just our names. I'm at Chris Van Vliet. Jeff is at Jeff Timmons. And could I ask you to hit subscribe or hit follow wherever you're listening to this right now? And if it happens to be Apple Podcasts, please take a second to rate and review the show. And I know you've heard me mention this a bunch before, but that combination of subscribing to the show and leaving a review, oh, it helps so much. That is what helps the show climb the charts. So thank you to everyone who's listening to this that has done it. And just a thank you for listening. Even if you haven't done that, even if you listen somewhere else, thank you. Just thank you for being with us on this one. I will say thank you several more times before this is done. Vinny Logs with a Z, that's L-O-G-Z, says, awesome. Van Vliet is the man. Always fun and interesting interviews, guaranteed. Well, thank you for that review, Vinny. I'll continue reading one review on every single episode till we get to that goal, till we get to 2,000 reviews or my birthday or May 19th. So we'll see which one happens first. Hmm. Which one? Which one will it be? Huh. Now, without further ado, oh, what a great chat. Please welcome Jeff Timmons. Jeff, thank you again for making the time. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. This is so cool. No, it's so cool to be chatting with you. I have a confession to make right out of the gate here. <laughs> My first ever song I had with a girlfriend, I was 16 years old and she's like, 98 Degrees has this new song called My Everything and that's going to be our song together. I'm like, okay, that that is our song. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, that makes me feel really good and really old at the same time. Yeah, you know, you're you're 16, and I think you know I'm I'm getting I'm pushing the uh, half a century mark here. So uh, it still feels good to have people still you know bringing up all those old songs and stuff like that. So I really appreciate the story. 
dude, you look great. You look, to be almost 50, you look incredible. Well, I have the ring light. You know how that goes. I have the soft lights. I have the zoom filters on. Uh-huh. I, I, I can get nowadays in my old age. I'm convinced that if you continue working out and you continue being active, that you'll just stay young forever. And I mean, that's obvious with you. Well, I appreciate it. Well, look, I try to keep up with it. You know, obviously in our business, the way you look is often more important, unfortunately, than your talent or your abilities. And, you know, look, yeah, we discovered that early on and I'm just trying to keep up with it, not only for the career, but just, you know, as you get a little older, you want to stay healthy and, and stay active and stuff like that. So I try to do my best I can with that stuff and work out every morning and, and, uh, and you know, watch diet. Diet's a very important part of that too. So what's your workout routine look like right now? Well, look, I mean, it's obviously changed during COVID. I was going to a gym and then, you know, moved everything into the house. And then look, as most things, after COVID, you're going to adopt some of those behaviors uh, and keep them, right, after it's over. But I get up really, really early. I've been doing a lot of stuff with some folks overseas in Europe and Japan, so I'm up all hours of the night. But there's usually a window between 4 and 7 in the morning where I'll get up, I'll run for, I'll try to burn a thousand calories on the treadmill and then, you know, lift weights at, at some point every day and, uh, and all that stuff. And diet, like I said, diet, I've been on a variation of keto or Atkins for, I want to say tw- over 25 years now. So I, I've tried to stick with that. Dude, you're waking up at four in the morning. Well, I'm either waking up at four in the morning or trying to slow down at four in the morning. So oh, I'm wow. the night and, uh, you know, fortunate enough to be busy, uh, you know, that busy during COVID. So it's been a really interesting time. And, uh, you know, the hours are weird, but I've never really slept that much. Once you got in, into the routine of being on tour all the time, like we were for so long in so many different time zones and planes, and, uh, you know, it just affected me for the rest of my life where I can only sleep in like sometimes 40 minute pockets. Sometimes it might, it might be a little bit longer, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a different kind of a schedule for sure. I don't know. I feel like it could go the other way. Like as soon as you get back from all that crazy touring, you're just like, I want to sleep for like 17 days straight. Well, I mean, you want to, and you're pretty exhausted after doing that stuff, but your body just gets used to, you know, your biorhythms are off. So I've gotten, I've adapted to where, okay, I'm going to have two hours here to sleep or 40 minutes here to sleep or 15 minutes for a power nap. And they can be dispersed throughout the day at all different times. But you know, I'm not complaining at all about it. I like it. So as we look behind you, you've got a keyboard there. And I think, you know, people might not be aware that you're still very much involved in the music business, but behind the scenes a little bit more now. Yeah, you know, look, and for a long time, I mean, when things started to you know fade away in the genre of pop in the, in the early 2000s and, you know, media started moving away for, from it more into hip hop for a while. They got sick of, you know, all the pop stuff. I had to make a quick pivot and transition. So I started... You know, I always was a big studio head when we were in the group and was peeking over all the producers' shoulders and curious as to how they were tweaking these songs and creating them. But, you know, I loved being in the studio, started making records for other people, started doing music for movies and TV shows and instrumentals and composing. And so that that's I've never left that. That's always been a big part of my life. But, you know, to supplement that, you have to get involved with other types of things and other areas and genres in the business. And that's what we ended up doing. So what is taking up most of your time now? Is it producing? Yeah, well, I'm producing. So, you know, at night, if I'm not on calls, usually at night from, you know, after my kids and my wife goes, they go to bed. I work on music every night, either midnight to four or five in the morning. 
uh, just to compose, whether it's going someplace or not. But I've been working a lot on tech platforms and in, in, in marrying entertainment and tech, which is especially relevant during COVID. I started developing a tech platform almost two years ago. It's about to launch here in the next three or four months. And in that process, I've been aligned with some really talented and amazing entrepreneurs and tech developers. We've got three or four really cool things that are emerging in the next six months to a year. And that's been taking up a lot of my time. But then I got into you know, doing some unscripted stuff, you know, just uh, uh, had the for good fortune of partnering up on a really great documentary that we're going to start filming pretty soon. We've got a game show coming out. We've got some scripted stuff in development. So, you know, I saw this opportunity to where I had some ideas and some strategic partners and creatives that we started developing stuff, but I was busy touring with 98 degrees to really kind of hunker down and go, all right, let's work on all this stuff. And everybody had plenty of free time. So a lot of those things are coming into fruition now. So I feel blessed to have had the time to focus on that. Sadly, of course, you don't want, you know, a pandemic to, to cause something like that to happen. But uh, we've been very fortunate during this time. Everybody's been safe and healthy on, on my side of things. And so it's been a good time to, you know, work on new creative and exciting projects. Yeah, I feel like this is like the ramp up time. Like, you know, everybody's paused right now. You know, in a normal time, we'd all be flying all over the place and in different cities. This can kind of be like the ramp up. And then when the world does hopefully get back to some sort of semblance of normalness, boom, that's when things can take off. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, you you can develop those things. But I think also, uh, I think some of these things that people have discovered, like, you know, you can do work from the home and you can get on Zoom calls. I think that a lot of those things will transcend. And I think it's right around the corner where things are going to open up. Obviously, there's news daily about vaccines and those the availability of those. And I think, you know, by the mid to end of summer, early fall, everything will be back to pretty much the way it was normally. But I think a lot of these things that have developed uh, ways of communication, ways of creating together, collaboration and, you know, work uh, from home. I think a lot of those things are going to transcend COVID after it's over. Yeah. Has music always been a massive passion for you? You know, I, it's always been a part of my life. And I, I, I don't think I consciously recognized how much it means to me until later on. And, and I mm. think you know, I always had a knack for it. And I grew up in a really small town that's a football town. And so, you know, we were encouraged to play football. I loved the game of football and tried to take it as far as I could by playing in small college after small college. And then the reality was, you know, you're just not good enough. You're not tall enough, big enough or whatever. And, and so I never wanted to give up on that dream. But music was always came really easy to me. And I was like, you know, it wasn't that cool or, you know, to do that where I was from. But, you know, as I've gotten older, I realized how much it means in my life. It's almost it's is almost it, outside of family. It's almost the most essential part of my life spiritually. And so uh, I've developed all these different things and different businesses outside of 98 degrees uh, to allow me to just fiddle around in this room. Uh, late at night and work on new sounds and, and music. It, it's definitely something that if I don't do, I miss it and I feel empty. Mm. There's a part of me that feels empty when I don't do it. So, uh, you know, I, I've embraced the, the, the fact that that's ingrained in my DNA and it's part of my, my love for life. And, um, you know, I'm lucky to be able to do it. You grew up in Maslin. Uh, so I'm originally from Toronto, but my first ever American television market that I worked in was Cleveland. I was on 19 Action News in Cleveland, Ohio. So I'm very familiar with Maslin. Is that W-O-I-O? It is. Oh, my gosh. That was, a, that, was that Fox? I think that might have been the It was Fox, Fox, and now it's CBS. CBS. Right. So, 
So, you know, look, back in the day when it was just three stations, three, five, and eight in, in, that, in that northeastern Ohio region, yep. it was a big deal when we had Fox 19 come out. So, small world, that's amazing. Uh, I, mean, I love the fact that you uh, had that experience. Really cool. Yeah, I'm from Maslin, which is a really small town. Uh, if anybody really knows anything about it, it's a big-time football town. When you're born uh, and you're a boy, they put a football in your in your crib at the hospital, and it's the town shuts down on Friday nights and Saturdays for the games. Uh, and you know, it's a, it's a really big part of the culture there. Yeah. It's very much like Friday night lights, but like the Northern version. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they even, even did a documentary, uh, that won a bunch of festival awards called go tigers about how the obsession with, you know, the game of football in that town, obviously Texas being a, a big, uh, a bigger place, more prolific, more money. The, the Friday night lights guess garners a lot more attention than that, but it's the same mentality and, and the same philosophy in Maslin, Ohio. Are you still a Browns fan? Well, look, I, 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 the Browns were always bad when I grew up. So the problem, <laughs> my dad was really smart. Early on, he was like, I'm not going to subject you to the Browns. We're going to like the Cowboys <laughs> and we're going to like the Raiders. You're going to like the America's team and you're going to like the bad boys version of America's team. So those have always been uh, near and dear to my heart uh, growing up. And, and, you know, certainly in later years, I've been a fan of those two teams forever. And now uh, I live in Vegas, so the Raiders here is amazing. But it is nice. Being from Ohio uh, and Northeastern Ohio, to see the Browns finally, you know, getting getting good, getting their stuff together. I, you know, they got a really promising future. So I lo I love seeing it. So you know, I don't want to be a bandwagon Browns fan after I've been a Raiders and Cowboys fan forever, but I certainly love the fact that Baker Mayfield, all those great players, uh, are are starting to come around. Odell and 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 you know, it's just great to see. Finally, yeah, jeez. <laughs> Was it just coincidental that all four members of 98 Degrees were from Ohio, or is that something you guys were actually like seeking out? Well, no, it is coincidental. I mean, a lot of people, you know, if you don't do, you know, it's been a long time since we were, were super popular and hot. So folks think that, you know, they just see on the, on the um, surface that we're all from Ohio. But originally, I started the group of some other guys in Northeastern Ohio that I went to Kent State with. And I also knew from Maslin High School and caught up with these guys randomly at a party and went to their apartment, started hanging out with their sort of them sort of squatted uh, in their apartment, and just crashed on the couch forever. And we ended up singing uh, at a party for girls. And it was totally a random thing. And I started the group with those guys, moved to California. They quit. And then I met somebody randomly in L.A. while I was seeking to fill the positions in the group uh, while working tons of odd jobs and crazy stuff. I met a guy that went to school with Nick. And he played me a tape, <laughs> a tape, you know, for those that don't know, a, a tape of Nick. I didn't even know what he looked like. You know, we, didn't, we couldn't go on social media to see clips or what he looked like. He didn't have, certainly didn't have his picture in his wallet. And I heard Nick's voice and I'm like, I don't care what this guy looks like. I need to get him on the phone. He was singing in some sort of blues band or cover band with, with Justin, who's in the group. Uh, they were playing horns. I, I, he was playing a sax. Justin was playing a trombone. It totally wasn't a 98 degrees boy band or four-part harmony bass type of group. Uh, but I heard him and got him on the phone and convinced him to move to L.A. It wasn't until he drove cross-country that I got to see what he looked like or got to meet him in person or any of that stuff. That's and the, the rest is, it is pretty wild. And he was there from Cincinnati, of course. Yeah. And then he brought his brother, Drew, and, and Justin out. And that's how we started the group there in L.A. I mean, you skipped over the part where you moved to LA. What was the like motivating factor for you to go, I'm going to move across the country? Well, I 
honestly, it was that party that we were trying to impress girls. It was that random and that impulsive. And most people would say, if uh, upon uh, you know, first blush, it's kind of a stupid decision. Uh, but but we we sang. Uh, you know, there there were some girls at a party at Kent State. And they were pretty much ignoring us. And one of the guys popped in a tape of them doing some karaoke thing that they did at Cedar Point, which is an amusement park. Oh, great amusement park. It's just an old, you know it, right? So it's, it's, of course. A, it's an old Eagles song. And these girls were impressed. I'm like, hey, we need to sing live on the spot. And I had some experience with, you know, doo-wop groups and, and four-part harmony groups. And so I took the guys in, in one of the rooms of the bathroom. And I'm like, you sing this, you sing this, you sing this. We went out and sang it. Uh, an acapella arrangement of My Girl, which is an old, you know, a temptation song. And the girls all of a sudden were giving us attention and they like it. But they're really outside of that, you know, very, you know, goofy way to look at things. And uh, they sounded good. It sounded good the very first time. And I was like, this, we might have something here. And I literally, I had a quarter, not even a semester left before I was going to graduate. And I called my mom up and I was like, I'm going to quit school and be a singer. And she's like, okay, go have more beers. Yeah, sure. And I did. I, I mean, we quit and I was like, let's go to LA. You couldn't, you couldn't utilize this stuff didn't exist. We couldn't do a YouTube or a zoom or any of that yeah. stuff, put stuff on social media. You had to go where the action was. And at that time it was LA or New York. And so we moved to LA, we drove across country, moved to LA and started, you know, dropping the hat for money and, and singing on in Fisherman's Wharf or Third Street Promenade in LA, and and just uh, trying to trying to get discovered, and that's eventually uh, what you know sort of was the catalyst, which what became ninety eight degrees. Jeff, that is yeah. wild. So it is a crazy story. Was the plan just let's get to LA and figure it out, or was the plan let's get to LA, then we're gonna do A, B, and C when we get there? There wasn't a blueprint or, or, or sort of anything. It was like, let's go to LA. That's where people get discovered. I mean, it was that simple. You couldn't Google this and there weren't tutorials on YouTube. It was, you know, you read stories and our story was, you know, boys to men got discovered uh, backstage at a, either a BBD concert or a new edition concert. Uh, let's find a way to get backstage at a boys to men concert. And eventually that's what 98 degrees did. Those guys quit. Uh, Nick and myself and, and Drew and Justin started the group. We got tickets to a boys men concert. We sang our way backstage and we did get discovered there. We, we didn't get discovered by boys to men like we hoped. We got discovered by a manager back there and he took us under his wing and we, you know, met Montel Jordan from This Is How We Do It fame and he did our demo and then it was passed along. And, you know, we ended up getting signed to Motown just like boys to men was signed to Motown. And that was the goal. And it, it just sort of happened. How do you sing your way backstage to a Boys to Men concert? Well, we went to the concert. We scrounged up our money. Actually, one of the guys put it, put the tickets on his credit card. We had no money. We were starving artists. And, you know, we, you know, we decided to go. We actually, Nick and I stayed up the night before drinking beers and we almost didn't go to the concert. You know, and we, you know, one of the guys said, yeah, we need to go. We put, we, you know, we need to go do this. So we drove and at the time at their concert. I think it was Irvine Meadows was the venue. Uh, which would end up being Verizon Amphitheater later on, which is now gone. But uh, we went there and, and we were, you know, literally by the backstage fence area singing acapella song after acapella song. The local security guy goes, look, if you don't think people try this every, every boys to men concert, you know, you're crazy. But what happened was we kept singing and, and uh, a girl from the radio station at that time, uh, it was called The Beat, which was an R&B station in L.A., saw us and she was like, you guys are good. You want to come backstage at our backstage party? And we're like, yeah. And then we sang live on the air. 
Uh, and, you know, people started, you know, backstage, like kind of looking at us and seeing what was going on. Someone said, hey, come back after the concert and we'll, you know, we'll talk about this. And, you know, we were so excited. We went and watched the concert. Then we realized we didn't get any backstage passes or any bracelets or anything to come back. So we actually hopped the fence uh, <laughs> after the show was over. And, you know, there this guy was sitting in a, in a Corvette and, you know, talking to us. And, and uh, he gave us his card, his business card, and said, hey, call me and we'll try to make something happen. And it seems like it's one of those stories out of a, a fairy tale book. Uh, book but, um, you know, that's what it was. That's what happened. But what it what, what the story has though is it has drive and it has determination and it has intention and without any of those things none of this would have happened. That's exactly right. I mean, we had sort of that blind faith that we were going to make it and that we had the talent to do it. And certainly, there were tons of people along the way that told us that, that we were crazy, that we were never going to do it, and the chances are one. You know, they'll, they'll tell you the odds, which are these astronomical odds. But it's, at the end of the day, we kept thinking that somebody's got to do it, right? There is that one in a million that, that does it. Why couldn't it be us? And so uh, fortunately for us, the, the stars aligned and, the, and it lined up with, you know, the work ethic and determination we had and the vision we had and intention, like you said, and everything ended up working out and in some ways better than we had pretty, pretty much anticipated. Well, because think of how many other people moved to L.A., you know, on a hope and a dream and that's all they have. And they don't have that drive or that intention. And they come out here and they go, no, this isn't it. And they get chewed up and spit out. But you guys did it completely differently. Yeah. I mean, you know what we did? And it was interesting to see that dynamic that when we got to L.A., yeah, I think L.A. does something to people really quick. Right. It, it, it get, it, it's such a big city. And a lot of people come from, you know, Iowa or Midwest or New York or whatever. And they go to L.A. and they, they really sort of get, get it. They adopt a certain behavior there where it's like okay i gotta get a job now full time and then i'll go go to auditions on on the side and when you go to auditions you know what it's like there with the traffic you can really only schedule one because you sit in traffic all day it takes an hour and a half to three hours to get there and then you get there and then there's a million people that look just like you and how am i going to stand out and then you get discouraged and then you give up really quick if it doesn't happen right away for us there wasn't a timeline on it we were going to mm -hmm. be like if it takes forever we'll do it forever. And then mm -hmm. the other part of it was we were going to adopt different ways to get discovered. For us, it was our singing voices and the ability to sing outside in the acapella in front of as many people as we could that we didn't have to necessarily go to scheduled auditions or do what the sort of what people tell you you have to do. Um, and, and we were going to say, you know, by any means necessary, we're going to get discovered. And I think that's the mentality you have to have. You have to go all in with it and yeah. not be discouraged by the philosophy that exists or the, the sort of model that people tell you you have to like fit into to, to be a success. Certainly some of those things work and there are, other, are those formulas that have been tried and true. But, you know, if you're going to go in and your heart is behind it, and your passion is behind it, uh, you, you can't have anything, uh, you know, deter you from your goal. It's obviously a really different time now with technology than it was, you know, in the story that you're describing in the 90s. What do you think someone needs to do now if they want to get discovered? I think the the forums are out there and the, the, the tools are, you know, plentiful and at your disposal. I, but I think the philosophy is the same. Drive, determination, hard work, faith in yourself, uh, self-belief. Um, I think those, those you just apply those now, and, and certainly you have lots of tools and opportunities to get out there, find ways to set yourself apart, uh, and, and you'll get discovered. Have that determination, self-belief, and faith, and you can do it. 
How did you guys determine early on that Nick was going to be the one that was singing lead on most of those songs? Uh, I mean, we didn't. I mean, he obviously has the strongest voice uh, for lead. I mean, it just was a sort of a natural fit. I mean, in the beginning, we would swap out leads a lot. And then look, you know, obviously uh, that was a good formula for us, for him to sing most of the leads. And, you know, I'd come in here and there on them and Drew eventually and, and Justin got got some shine there as well. But it just was a natural fit for us. Hmm. So what, what do you think was after you get backstage, after you get signed, what's the first real journey towards heading to that break? Um, look, I, you know, we uh, we um, created the demo with Montel Jordan and it got passed along a lot of places. Our goal was to get it on Motown. We thought that our music, you know, we didn't, there wasn't a term called boy band out at that time. We wanted to be a four part group, like in the tradition of boys to men with some flavor from the 50s and 60s doo-wop bands and stuff like that with a small twinge of harmony stacks from pop rock groups like Journey and Boston and, and the Eagles and stuff like that. So uh, we didn't consider ourselves a boy band, but we thought Motown would give us some credibility, uh, you know, with our urban influence, the, the urban influences we had. Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, things like that. And so when we got signed to them, that was amazing. Uh, mm -hmm. We, you know, we, we, uh, you know, met with Andre Harrell, who recently passed, but he gave us our break. He was a, a tre tremendous and instrumental in giving us our break. And, um, you know, we just went there and sang for them. That was the first step, getting signed to Motown. That's amazing. But really, yeah. I think when it dawned upon us was when it, we heard our first song on the radio. You know, uh, I had been in L.A. before I was able to coordinate this with Nick and, and, and Justin and Drew getting the group together. I had a small window there where I was working odd jobs in LA and working security. I was working at security at Phil Collins' estate that he was having built in, in, in Beverly Hills. So I had these long hours where I would sit in this, you know, at this construction site in this booth, this security booth, you know, listening to Kiss FM in LA. And I, you know, sit there for 12 hour shifts going, man, I can't wait to, you know, I would just write down my goals in this, in, the, in a notebook. And I'd listen to these songs. I go, I can't wait till I hear my song on the station. And I was like, had the vision that it was going to be on there and pictured what it was going to be in the group song. And then when, it, when, you know, sitting there at a hotel, fancy hotel in LA, pulling up uh, to record some music and the song came on the radio on Kiss FM, I was like, you know, the valet was about to park our car. I'm like, no, no, wait a second. I got to hear this all the way through. This is like, I cranked it up and, you know, people are coming in looking at me like I'm crazy, but I'm like, that was really a kind of a, a moment where we're like, wow, we're, we're kind of on our way. And this was Invisible Man, right? That's right. Yeah, man. You really did your homework. That's the, that was the first song. And, you know, that song meant so much to us because it was actually the first song we even recorded when we got signed as well. So. This isn't homework. This is me listening to these songs when I'm in high school. That's what this is. Oh, well, thanks, man. I, I, I really appreciate that you know them. And, you know, you never get used to people knowing your stuff or getting excited <laughs> about it. It's, it's always fresh and exciting to hear people listen to the music, you know. I want to go back to something you said there about writing down goals. And I, I think that that's such a big thing that I'm always doing, but how important has that been throughout your entire life? Well, look, I, I can tell you. I mean, I'll, I'll show you an example right now. I mean, here are three notebooks that I have. I love it. Filled, filled with daily, daily ideas and thoughts and stream of consciousness. I do it all the time. And, I, you know, look, it, the importance of filling, fulfilling, filling out, writing out goals, I, I just, I can't stress it enough, right? Mm. And you know, I have a lot of new age writers or inspirational, motivational speakers talk about it. And people are like, yeah, yeah, I can write all my goals, but they're never going to come true. 
what it does is create an unconscious behavior in yourself, whether you're aware of it or not, that you're, you're, the more you subconsciously ingrain your goals into your mind, uh, you start to consciously behave in ways that will achieve them. And I know it sounds cosmic or corny, but I really believe it. Uh, when I was working at that Phil Collins estate, my, I have plenty of time on my hands, 12-hour shifts, and you know nobody there to interact with. My brother gave me a Tony Robbins book, and it basically said, write your goals down, write your dream goals down, write all the steps it would take to get there, write what you'll have when you get them. And, you know, literally, you know, all every single one of those lofty goals when I was making, you know, $8 an hour, uh, you know, working security, every single one of them came true. And some of them bigger than I had written. And, you know, he tells you in those books, you know, write as lofty as goals in as much detail as you can envision. Every single one of them came true. So after that happened, you know, I always do it. And, and, you know, mm. they might not all come true, but a lot more of them do come true than I think would have come true if I didn't write, write, write them down like that, if that makes any sense. Of course. And one of the keys is writing them as if they've already happened, right? That's right. Writing them as if, if they've already happened, get feeling as if they've already happened internally, physiologically, and then expressing thanks for it happening. And I, you know, look, people are like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. But you know, when, when, when it works for you and you get to experience these things that are, are only a dream uh, mm -hmm. to you and, and, and they come into fruition and when you experience them, sometimes the experience is better than you expected. You know, I, I lean on the, on the, on the exercise as being something that's really legit. Oh, I love this, Jeff. This is, this is so great. Is this something you do every single day? I write down my goals every day. I'll write down my goals every day. I take notes for every meeting. And even if I'm jotting or doodling stuff or just putting like, you know, small little notes down, I formulate uh, them into, you know, the breakdown of what it is. And look, it, it, people are like, I don't want to take the time to do that. Well, I feel like it's important to take the time to do it because if you look at it, you know, it's, it's a kinesthetic tactual thing too. It's the touch and the feel of the pen and the writing of the goals that activates parts of your brain that gets your creative flow going. I mean, I'm, 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 I mean, some people might say it's superstitious or weird, but I really think that it's very important and detrimental to the process of accomplishing something that you want to create and see it into fruition. Yeah, there's this great phrase that I love. It's a great quote that says, I don't know what I think until I write it down. And I think that that's so true. It speaks exactly to what you're talking about, that stream of consciousness. Like you have all these thoughts just kind of banging around in your head till you put pen to paper. What are you really thinking? Yeah, because a lot of it is just like you said, just thoughts and random. And, and look, you have so much stress in real life and there's so many, uh, there's so much stimuli out there. We have our phones, we have the computers, the bright lights now, and you know, so much going on. Like some of my kids are, you know, my, my, my one son will play a video game while watching a video game on someone playing a video game on his phone while watching a YouTube video on his iPad. And so there's just so much going on. You can have these fleeting thoughts and great ideas, but it's always great to like put them down when you get a chance, right? And you can look 90% of them are bad or maybe even more, but then you're going to find that one kernel that you circle and you go, all right, how do we move on? How do we move forward with this? And you make a little outline and then, you know, look, the more you feel the idea, the more descriptive you get about it. And again, mm. that those feelings that you attach to it, being thankful for it happening, feeling like it, envisioning that it's happening. And then, you know, sort of uh, things align for them, those types of things to fall into place for you. Unhappy with your smile? Well, you don't have to be. 
Thousands of people have used Candid, the clear, comfortable, removable, and practically invisible aligners to help straighten their teeth. And now they love their smile. Just like Sharon from Pittsburgh, who wore braces as a teenager, but flash forward 30 years, and now she has the crowding on the bottom. And one of her teeth is actually sticking out a little bit. That's when she made the decision to move forward with Candid, and she finally got her confidence back. And Candid is here to help straighten your teeth so you can fall in love with your smile too. Your treatment is prescribed and closely monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist who's an expert in tooth movement. You'll have the same quality of care you'd get from an in-office orthodontist from the comfort and convenience of your own home. And while other companies use general dentists, Candid only works with orthodontists. With Candid, the same orthodontist who created your plan is there with you from start to finish, so you'll never have to wonder how you're doing. The average Candid treatment is just six months, and you'll start seeing results way before then. And it costs thousands of dollars less than traditional braces. Become your best you. Start straightening your teeth today. And right now, you can save $75 on Candid Starter Kit. Go to candidco.com insight and use the code INSIGHT. That's candidco.com slash INSIGHT. The code is INSIGHT. And you can take advantage of this limited time offer to save $75 on your starter kit. Once again, it's candidco.com slash INSIGHT. And the code is INSIGHT. Do you remember what some of those big goals were as 98 Degrees was starting to take off? Well, yeah. I mean, look... when the guys quit, my first one was get a group. <laughs> it was that. <laughs> yeah, all right. He's like, start, set your goals and let's start from the beginning. And I'm going, and it was, you know, I was reading the book. So it wasn't the audio tapes or anything, audio books or any of that stuff. So it was like, like what are the goals? Well, uh, let's start the, with the first one, get a group. <laughs> you need to find three other guys first. So it was get a group, you know, find a manager, get a record deal. Um, then it was, you know, sell a million records, right? Have a, it was have a song on the radio, sell a million records, go on tour in the U.S., travel the world, uh, you know, get nominated for a Grammy, uh, you know, buy a home. And then all of those things, you write the description of it all, right? And then, you know, get backstage in a Boys and Men concert. Mm. We wrote it down and then, you know, we did, you know, get signed to Motown Records. Oh, we did, you know? And I, I went back and I looked at them uh, and I was like, let's see how many of these came true. And I had, I had check mark. I can check mark every single one of them. And, you know, there was really, you know, this was, it was devastating for the guys I was originally with. They quit and we were getting some steam in LA and we were talking to big management companies and possibly record labels. So they quit and I was like, how am I going to start this from scratch? But I was so reinforced by people's behavior and excitement for us singing acapella and the, the, the reaction we were getting, I'm like, I can't quit. Well, yeah, let's start yeah. from square one, get a group, get a group, you know, get a group. And so it sort of fell into place. And a lot of it is, you know, opportunity. And, you know, some might be, people might say luck, but it really was, I just wasn't going to take no for an answer on it. I was going to do it and see it through. Do you still keep in touch with those guys that used to be in the band? They're my best friends in the world. So yeah, I keep in touch with them. They're such talented guys that, you know, they, it might, this might, this lifestyle might not been for them. Uh, because we're from a small town and they wanted to have that sort of life. And I really respect that. Uh, yeah. 
I mean, the way I was raised in the, the town that I'm from, the people there are amazing. So I can understand that. But I've always felt that they were so talented. I wanted them to be involved with things that I'm doing. So I, I've written hundreds of songs with those guys. So they're songwriters and they're producers and, and they're ultra talented. Uh, they, they just didn't want to be in this type of an environment, out on stage and traveling and touring the world and all that stuff. It wasn't for them. At what point along this journey do you guys decide you're going to get the tattoos? <laughs> well, right early on. <laughs> early okay. On. So, um, you know, we, uh, we got signed and we, you know, decided the group was going to be called 98 Degrees. And I think we were doing a promotional tour. I mean, we, we toured cheerleading camps uh, in a Winnebago with our pictures wrapped around and drove it ourselves. I mean, we didn't, you know, we, we were by no means having our own tour buses and crew or any of that stuff. It was yeah. very, in the very beginning. And I think we stopped in Phoenix and, uh, you know, we're like, let's get a tattoo of the, you know, the name of the group. And we, uh, I got the logo and Nick had one in the sun, which he, he since he filled it in because he's like, you, you know, but for a long time there, this wasn't cool, you know? So when, when the group uh, sort of kind of took the hi hiatus and music changed, you know, I, you know, people were killing me with my tattoo, right? Especially guys, right? They're like, oh, look at this cornball with this corny group tattoo. And so, you know, I was embarrassed by the tattoo for a while and I've been covered yeah. up. Uh, and then I met my current wife and she was like, you gotta show that tattoo. You gotta be proud of what you created. And, and you know, it's, it's so funny that I was so surprised being such a headstrong guy and confident guy that I had let that, that get to me like that. I was like, you know what? She's making sense. I should be proud of this. It's, it transcends, you know, being in a pop group in a boy band. It means it's something that we collectively created that we had tremendous success with. And uh, yeah. so I'm very proud of it, uh, you know, but it was, the, it was that time frame where, where I was a little in flux identity-wise and what I was going to do next. And it's funny that even, you know, most the most confident people can get discouraged by uh, circumstances and by other people. And since then, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll never fall off track like that again. I, this is no different than someone who goes to the Olympics. Like so many people, they qualify for the Olympics, they compete in the Olympics, and then they get the Olympic tattoo. This is no different than that. It's the yeah. most, you know, biggest part of your life. Yeah, it, it was a, a game-changing part of my life. It completely changed my life. The group has changed many people's lives, believe it or not. You would think that music wouldn't and pop songs wouldn't, but we had email after email, letter after letter, personal encounter after personal encounter, people saying, you don't understand. We'll kind of like you on a, on a smaller scale with your girlfriend. She said, this is our song. You're like, what? yeah, cool, whatever, you know, whatever makes you happy. But there are people that said, you know, this is my wedding song. My husband proposed to me. Oh, my grandmother passed away and this was a song that we were listening to. Or, you know, my son had cancer. We used to listen to your music and he went in remission. And we, it really, those things you didn't, when I was singing for girls and trying to make a million bucks or whatever it is, right? You, you, that you, when you're a young guy that you think are things that are important, those things never occurred to me uh, that, that I would think that would have that effect. So, you know, the group did, did mean something and still does mean something to a lot of people outside of the music, right? The personal bonds and the way they attach it to their personal lives that, you know, that's a, that's a story that, that, that's, a, that's truly greater than, than us as a group or what we expected to happen. I would have to think that I do cherish you is still like one of the top wedding songs ever. It, it really is. And, and, you know, I, I liked that song when I first heard it and, but I like some of the other ones better, you know, look, when you're an artist, you want the more creative stuff and oh, this is cooler. Look at the tricks we can do with our voices on this one. And the idea when I was like, man, this is so simple, but you know what? 
That's what sometimes everybody can relate to, the simplicity of it, the beautiful melody that they created, the track that Keith Thomas developed. And, you know, it has been one of those songs that has probably been the one that is, is most memorable now. Uh, it, it was a popular song. We had other ones like The Hardest Thing, Invisible Man, Because of You, My Everything, a few others that people liked more at the time. But that one sort of has, has remained the most popular one throughout the years. Well, think about it. There's a difference between loving someone and cherishing someone. Yeah, the lyrics are pretty cool. And, and, you know, some of these songs, a lot of the songs we didn't get to have a hand in writing, you know, being new artists, you know, label controls, a lot of that stuff. Uh, but the lyrics in that one, I, you know, those are ones I, I wish I had a hand in, uh, in, in writing for sure. So with all the momentum that you guys had and, you know, the, the massive hits you had, why couldn't this continue? Well, look, I mean, we, uh, you know, it was a grind. So again, we, we not to, to uh, use your word and, and make a play on words, but we cherished everything that we mm. were going through. We really uh, relished the moment and all that stuff, but it, it, it is a ton of work, right? You, you're, you're traveling all the time. For us, we traveled for five years straight with, with no breaks. I mean, we were on the road a long time. And when I mean on the road, I mean every day for years and years and years together. It's a very stressful situation. So imagine we were like family. So imagine... Imagine being in business with your family and people say that's a no-no and being in business with your friends and people say that's a no-no and then being with them 24 hours a day for years and years and years. So that's it's a strenuous relationship. Of course, the business, as you know, is, is a cutthroat killer business. Uh, you know, it's a really tough business. Very high highs, very low lows. And, you know, we were just tired. We were exhausted. And, you know, we... Uh, you know, we were together and we had been on the road a long time. We, have, we were completing a huge tour. And then our last show together was uh, on, uh, you know, September 10th, 2001 in New York City, a tribute for Michael Jackson. Of course, the next day, September 11th, uh, that historic date. And nobody knew what was going to happen. We had maybe two dates left on our tour, uh, but we canceled them. We all went home to our families and we were done. We were done. I mean, we, uh, mm -hmm. we, we didn't know what was going on. Uh, we all went in different directions. I had a young child and, and just had gotten married, had one on the way. And, you know, we all just got into our own things and life took us apart. It wasn't like, we're breaking up. Well, you know, the band's breaking up. It was, you know, just sort of dictated by the universe, right? So we, we separated, did our own things and it could have probably gone on. Again, music started transitioning. It was getting harder and harder to get traditional media to accept the the music the way it was and to keep running with the ball that way they wanted to go in a different direction but um for us it was just circumstances and then we missed it we missed each other uh mm -hmm. and we missed missed the joy of uh performing for our fans and we came back and now we've been doing it ever since and and the fans are more excited and, and more supportive than they've ever been i mean in fact some of it seems even more than when we were really really popular in the public eye so we're blessed to continue to do this now. And, you know, there's some big things on the horizon post-COVID for 98 degrees still. And so, um, and, and although we all have our different endeavors on the business front and creative, creatively as well, and different personas out there to all different degrees, no pun intended, but, um, you know, we're still doing a lot of stuff together. When you guys did split up, did you have a plan for what was going to happen? No, I didn't. I anticipated, look, w when you're, in a Winnebago driving yourself around one day yeah. and then you're on TRL the next and you can't get out of your tour bus, you realize the facts, right? The fact of the matter is a lot of it's hype. We, not to disparage my group or take away from our talent or our work ethic. Those things you need to be successful. We have that. But you also realize 
that it's a lot of hype, right? You know, yeah. you're on television every day, that in the radio every day, all of a sudden you're popular. When, you know, weeks before we were on television, we were just on the radio, nobody knew who we were. We're out there like, you know, trying to find our albums and buy them. So we're, you know, we're, we're, we're appearing on SoundScan in the chart because, you know, we want to make sure we make it, you know, and then the next day you're going on QVC and selling 250,000 copies of a record. You realize, wow, this can go away fast. As much as, as fast as it's hitting us, it could go away. So I was trying to learn about as much as I could about the business as possible, the retail, the radio, the marketing, the PR uh, aspects of it. Who, who, who were important pieces in that outside of us just being, you know, great singers. I mean, the, there was a team. And so I tried to learn as much as I can, but did not know where I was going to go. Didn't know whether I was going to produce music. Can I come out as a solo artist? Probably not because, you know, they're trying to get away from the boy band guys uh, with the exception of somebody like J Justin and Nick had, you know, some success there as well. Uh, you know, I had to find out what I wanted to do. And, and that was really interesting because I didn't have these tools to go out there mm -hmm. and do it. I had to press CDs or go in a studio. Uh, I could just drum up business uh, like you can now with LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and, and you know, uh, all, the, all these wonderful things that you have, these networking capabilities that you can showcase your talent and abilities. So it was a scary you know, a few years there for me in, in pivoting in what I was going to do. It was it was a tough time for uh, I would say five to ten years. Uh, you know, until I was able to figure out a niche and how this worked, and some of the social media was catching up with some of the things that I was hoping to do. Did you think at any point during that time maybe music isn't the fit for me anymore? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you you know, you get discouraged by it, and you go, okay, look, maybe it's not. Maybe I should go host something, and maybe it's not in the cards. But I never gave up on music. Um, I, as much as I try to go, all right, I'm going to do this now and I need to get rid of all my equipment. It's, it's, it's a waste of time. And you really get discouraged and, and think that way. I was like, there would be something that would, I would get it. I would get a job or somebody would throw me a bone that would entail me doing music. So I was like, all right, I can't leave. It's like, uh, it's like a Godfather three when they're, like, they're pulling me back in. Right. So the, I, I was like music, you know, damn you music, but I love you music. You know, it's like this blessing and curse, but now, you know, you find a way to just say, hey, this is part of me. Uh, you know, whatever the plan is, God's plan is, and the universe's plan is, it entails me being attached to music somehow. So, uh, you know, embrace it and, and you know, have that faith, uh, that leap of faith that, that there's a reason you're getting pulled in this direction and stop resisting it. And so when I did, then things started getting easier and, and opportunities started coming. And so sometimes it's you can think about it, you can write them down and you can try to like, force things into existence, right? Or believe them into existence. But, you know, there's ultimately a bigger plan a lot of times. And, and if you follow that, sometimes it's more rewarding than you can even plan out. I remember reporting on you joining Chippendales. And I was like, this makes perfect sense. I mean, no disrespect to any of the other guys in the group, but you were the most jacked member. Well, I appreciate that. But I can tell you, I, I was very, very cautious and a little bit nervous about doing that. I've been asked a lot of times and I was making a pretty decent living behind the scenes. And I was like, you know, the second I go and, and the, the job was to host the Chippendales. The job was to join the Chippendales. If you see those guys and then you see me, Jack is not the word for me anymore. It's somewhat <laughs> in shape. So, you know, uh, I, uh, I, I was very anxious about that. And my wife was like, go see the show. It's a, it's a Vegas show. It's a produced show. It's not you grinding on girls for dollars. It's not Magic Mike. 
no, it's not, which is also a very well put together show. But I, uh, I, I, I went, I checked out the show and I'm like, I think I can do this. I think I can incorporate pop music into it. I can perform as a singer. Of course, I'll wear a tank top uh, next to these guys that are behemoth shredded 20 years my junior, right? Uh, but, you know, look, I think I can make this cool. And they gave me an opportunity. It ended up being, again, better than I expected. I got a ton of really great press about it. Of course, you have your trolls out there like, oh, look, at it. he's resorted to being a stripper, you know, but I'm not appealing to those guys anyway, right? Or those people that are hating. I'm appealing to the people that actually came out and in record-breaking numbers to see me be a part of this show. And I was honored to be part of a historically uh, legendary brand. I was very proud of the shows, the guys I was with, the guy, Michael Caprio, that gave me the opportunity. I appreciated him doing it. And it ended up being a, a springboard that ended up getting 98 degrees back together. That put us on a, an amazing tour with new kids and, and boys to men after that. And then ever since then, and this is, you know, nearly 10 years ago, uh, ever since then, it's been 90 to nothing. We've been flying along with all kinds of other opportunities. So it really was a catalyst for a lot of good business for me. And, you know, I, I actually loved the genre and created a version of my own yeah. that, that ended up being a big success for a while. So uh, to me, you know, that, that again, that's sometimes, you know, you get you get opportunities and, you know, you might have to explore them and they might be coming for a reason. It doesn't mean you have to do everything that comes your way or or you know, certain things for money. I, for me, it was like, all right, let's see what this does. And uh, and my wife was a big part of encouraging me to do that. That's not pretty to, amazing. Not to mention, she probably likes seeing the guys on stage. <laughs> that didn't occur to me at the time, but. <laughs> yeah, the thing that you, that kind of springboarded off on your own was Men of the Strip. And man, you had some huge celebrities that would be part of that. Like who who did you reach out to that said yes, that surprised you the most? Um, you know, look, guys would appear and stuff like that. And, you know, for me, uh, it, the biggest celebrities were the guys in the show that got cast. I mean, mm -hmm. not, I know that sounds corny, but, you know, the, I didn't do the casting in the show. I, I, I'm not an expert in that space, right? Picking guys that girls uh, or other guys would, would find attractive. Um, I, the guy that, that picked the, 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 guy, the cast was this guy, Glenn Douglas Packard. He's just an expert in that space. He's a choreographer. Uh, he was on Hogan's Knows Best. And he just had a knack for picking a diverse group of guys with a certain amount of talent that could also dance and look amazing and multicultural and, and different personalities. And they, these women fell in love with these guys. I mean, these guys were rock stars, like literally overnight. And um, so it was a really interesting process to watch. And again, uh, I knew that the genre would work with more pop music and more singing. But I didn't know it would work as well as it, it as it really did. So it was a, a another tremendous learning experience for me, and uh, you know I love being a part of that that project. Did the women like really get out of hand every night? They really did. I mean, and so you know we had seen that with our group, but when you sure. when you mix it with a bit, and, and we, there's always an element of sex with music and, and yeah. sex appeal with music. I mean that that's they go hand in hand. But this is an overtly. Uh, yeah, this is overt, right? This is a ladies' night out, uh, and, and it's their time to, you know, these housewives, these full-time moms, these full-time employed uh, go-getters, they get a chance to just finally get their, their time to just do whatever, right? And I saw some craziness. <laughs> I mean, I can't even talk about it, right? It's crazier than you expect, but what you're doing is you're giving uh, people an outlet to 
to have a fantasy and to, to let loose yeah. and, to, and they're allowed to enjoy it because guys, they've been allowed to go to strip clubs forever. But, and this, and I wouldn't equate the male review to a strip club. I think it's a lot more well put together and more choreographed than that. Not to disparage the, the strip club industry. They're very successful and have talents of their own. But this is a, this is a polished version. It's almost like, a racier boy band is what we were mm -hmm. kind of creating. And so it, it taps into all those uh, places in your cerebral cortex, that cerebral cortex that gets you excited. And so we would see some pretty, pretty wild stuff going on. What happens in Vegas stays there, right? Yeah. Or, you know, for us, we, we had more success with the brand on tour. So we took it all over, you know, Racine, Wisconsin and tertiary markets in the Midwest, places that wouldn't normally get something like this where it was like, you know, it was like a, a water in a desert with with uh, with this kind of stuff. It was just something that we gave to the fans. And I, I mean, I would love to do it again, actually. I mean, I think that there's an option there to create something new. It's just I've been so busy and sidetracked with everything else. But it was that's a fun experience. Maybe this is 2022, a post-COVID world where you bring Men of the Strip back. It could be an opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I know that the guys that helped me create it are always, you know, kind of knocking on the door going, we should do it again. It was fun. But, you know, there's, I, you know, I did that. It was fun. It was a success. Um, and then, you know, you move on to whatever is creative uh, for you next, and creatively fulfilling. So we moved on and been doing other things. But that's always something that's been, been a fun time and I'll cherish. If you had to guess, and neither of us are virologists here, but if you had to guess, when do you think 98 Degrees could go back on tour again i mean there's there are a bunch of shows in the, in the on the book starting in may i mean we've had you know fortunately for us we didn't have to cancel all of, all of our shows we just moved them because our fans are there um you know we have some stuff in may i think that's probably going to be too soon i think you know people are going to want to feel comfortable that the vaccine is out there enough that herd immunity is you know you see the charts now and we are definitely not virologists but you see the charts now and the graphs now i mean there's starting to be a plummet in in cases and and and, and hospitalizations and deaths thank you thank god but uh you know that that's showing that probably herd immunity is right around the corner um so i think it's when everybody feels comfortable that might be mid to late summer it might be fall yeah, I guess it's, I mean, when people start going back to sporting events, concerts are going to be right there. And I don't know, I've got my fingers crossed that we can go to NFL games this fall. Yeah, I mean, me too. I'm a huge NFL fan. I would love to check out this beautiful stadium. Yeah, no one's been in there. I mean, it's, I've seen it. I've been watching it, you know, uh, be built from the jump and couldn't wait to you know, maybe get some tickets and go. But uh, it, you just couldn't do it. But uh, I hope it's sooner than later. It's right, right there next to the Luxor, right? Yeah, it's this place is it's just I keep looking at it every time I, I pass it. I'm like, I can't wait to get in there. It's amazing. Yeah, well, I can't wait to get to Vegas. I want to I want to get a workout in with you so I, I can be as jacked as you are. <laughs> get out of here, man. You're, you're, you're trust me. I everybody that sees me in person, the first thing they always say is like, you're smaller and shorter than oh. <laughs> smaller, you're smaller and shorter than like you know, look, camera adds 10 pounds and, you know, I'm, I'm a small guy. I'm like, I'm not that that big of a guy. I just try to stay in shape. That's all. What, when someone says that to you, like, what, what are you supposed to say to it? Well, look, you know, originally, you know, when, when you're from Ohio and, you know, you're, you know, it, those, those are fighting words, right? But <laughs> throughout, throughout the years, you, you realize, I mean, that's, you know, the, the way you think now uh, compared to the way you think as a teenage guy is completely yeah. different, especially when you have, uh, all these experiences that I've had, right? So people, what I found is, you know, sometimes people just don't know what to say. Yeah. And they have just, 
nervous emotions, nervous energy. So they'll say something that insults you, and really, it's 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 just they don't know how to how to act or how to how to say something. So you know what I really try to do with everybody, uh, whether it's a famous person or whether it's uh, you know person next door, I try to disarm them from the beginning with self-deprecating humor. Let them know that I'm just a regular guy. Uh, and, yeah, and so when, you, when someone goes, wow, and this is another thing that you're actually pretty cool. You know, that's another, it's like a backhand compliment, right? Or, <laughs> or, I, I didn't think you'd be so nice. You know, but but I, I'm like, oh, well, thank you, I guess. But, you know, I try to disarm people, but make them feel comfortable. Talk about them because, you know, look, people have preconceived ideas of how you're going to be when you live this life. And, you know, yeah. look, if you post pictures of yourself on social media, and you know, this is about me all the time. And, you you know, you they're thinking that you're doing it because you're 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 you're, you're self-centered. Right. And there is some bit of ego that has to do with being an entertainer or what we do. But. You know, but but it's also part of promotion for your brand and what your job is, right? So people lose that in the shuffle, uh, mm -hmm. and, and so I try to just you know disarm them and make them you know comfortable around me as much as I can. It doesn't always work. Some people are going to hate no matter what, and you know there's no there's no hope for that. But uh, you know you do the best you can. I have to thank another super nice guy, Jesse Goddard, who connected us and made this thing happen. You 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 dabble a little in the wrestling world, you know, a little bit at least. Yeah, you know what? Well, look, I uh, we've talked about possibly he and I doing some wrestling stuff together. He is a phenomenal guy. He's a terrific marketer, he's so super great. talent, and he's you know, look, he, he's he's definitely cut from the right cloth. That guy, um, everybody loves him. Um, he is a a good person inside and out, which is always great. That complements that work ethic, right, and that persona that he has. And we did a song together that was a lot of fun. He was actually good. You know, he was really good in the studio. And, you know, anything I can do with Jesse, I'd be proud and honored to be a part of anything he's doing. We've talked about doing some wrestling stuff together. I grew up a wrestling fan. Uh, I would, even if it, you know, I'd crushed in there. But, you know, why not give it a shot? We're talking about doing something. And hopefully that'll, that'll uh, you know, happen as well. So He is Mr. Pectacular. Yeah. And, and you know, again, uh, you know, standing next to him, I try to, like, Keep, I was doing social distancing from Jesse so people could get their <laughs> physiques before COVID. So <laughs> I've really enjoyed this, Jeff. Thank you so much for your time. Anytime, man. You're you're a tremendous interviewer, man. And I can see why you're such a success as well. And, uh, you know, please uh, keep me in mind for anything you need. And I'm always here for you too, man. I appreciate that. I end every interview by asking. I'm a big gratitude guy. I love gratitude. In fact, you see it here. Be great. Be grateful. What are three things in your life that you're grateful for right now? Well, I'm, I'm grateful for my family. I have a wonderful family, beautiful kids. My wife's amazing. Uh, so I'm grateful for them. Um, I'm grateful for my health, right? I, I'm able, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to do uh, what, what I love for a living and get yeah. paid for it and get rewarded for it. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for all those things. I mean, if I could pick a fourth one in, in no particular Please, order. it can be honorable mention. I would say our fans that are still there and, you know, uh, and, and just as excited today as they were when we came out over 25 years ago now. So uh, I have a lot to be thankful for. I'm one of them. I'm a 98 Degrees fan and I am a Jeff Timmons fan. I appreciate it, man. Likewise, it's it's nice to hear that you're confident in saying that. And as we get older, it's, it's you know, more, more and more guys are not afraid of it. So <laughs> thank I, you very much, man. Totally okay with that. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Chris. Continued success to you.
Well, there you have it, my friends. I had no clue how inspiring this conversation with Jeff was going to be, but wow. Talk about goal setting. And I know it sounds so simple, but there really is real power in writing down your goals every single day. It's a habit that you'll see time and time again with high achievers. It's something that they always do. They write down their goals, simple goals, like medium level goals, and then those huge, massive goals that you're chasing after. If you enjoyed this, please share this with a friend. Tag us on social media. I'm at Chris Van Vliet, and Jeff is at Jeff Timmons. I can't thank him enough for this great conversation. What a guy. As Tony Robbins said, I'll leave you with this quote. Setting goals is the first step in turning the invisible into the visible. Be great. Be grateful, my friends. We'll see you on the next one for some more insight.